Under the Golden Dome. You're five feet nothing, and you got hardly a speck of athletic ability. And you hung in with the best college football team in the land for two years. And you're also going to walk out of here with a degree from the University of Notre Dame. Looking deep for Tim Brown. He has to wait for it, but he catches it. Brown to the 20, to the 10. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Ishmael down around the five-yard line. The kick will come down, and Rugib will take it. Takes it at the 12, 15, 20, 25. He's at the 30. After Burgers a run. He's gone. 40, 45, 50. Down the sideline at the 35. A right to the goal line at the 10. It's time for Under the Golden Dome, your most in-depth, informative Notre Dame football podcast. Here's your host, Sean SD2 Mike's Davis. Welcome back in Under the Golden Dome podcast right here, ESPN1000.com and the ESPN app. I am Sean Davis. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at SD2Mikes. We'll be talking Notre Dame football each and every week on this podcast. And don't forget, each and every second of Notre Dame football can be found right here. ESPN 1000 covers September the 2nd, Labor Day, Monday night. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish go down to Louisville, Kentucky to face off against the Louisville Cardinals at Cardinal Stadium. Pre-game coverage begins at 6 p.m. Central right here on ESPN 1000, and they'll have the call. Paul Burmeister, Ryan Harris, and Jack Nolan on the sidelines. They'll be giving it to you starting at 7 o'clock p.m. Central, only right here on ESPN 1000, the home of your Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Now, before we get back to our defensive preview with Brian Driscoll from blueandgold.com, how about we kick it a little bit about this matchup with Notre Dame and Louisville? Can I kick it? Notre Dame comes into this matchup ranked ninth in the ESPN preseason poll. And in the current football power index, they rank seventh with Louisville coming in at 67. This is the second ever meeting between these two teams. Louisville won the first 31-28 in South Bend back in 2014. Notre Dame had a chance to tie the game on a 32-yard field goal, but they missed it with under a minute left. Former Appalachian State and current Louisville Cardinal head coach Scott Satterfield takes over a Louisville program that went 2-10 last season and lost its final nine games. He comes from Appalachian State, where he led the Mountaineers from 2013 to 2018. Over the last four seasons, he carved out a 40-11 record, which is fifth best in the FBS. Scott Satterfield talked about beginning the season as a huge underdog at home. The fact that, yeah, we're playing, we're a big underdog and we're playing a, a you know well-known team that's coming in here, that, I think that's the correlation, but it may stop right there, you know. Um, you know, we, we have as a, we have not seen our guys play a game yet. You know, we, we don't know how they're going to go out and react in, in a game situation. Um, you know, all our preparation that we've put in, you know, we've got a good idea, but you don't fully know until we snap, put the ball down and let's snap the ball and see what happens. Um, you know, and, and so I know this is a great opportunity. It's a, it's a great opportunity for our guys to go out and, and showcase um, what they've been working hard to do and, and to play. So, um, so we're as coaches are anxious to get out there, all right, see where we're at with everybody, and let's and let's you know let's put this let's put this ball down, let's play a game. When Satterfield took over the Louisville program, he had to deal with a staggering 13 transfers. So we'll see on Monday night what type of team Scott Satterfield can put out on the field to face the Fighting Irish. And our Louisville op of the game, the opposing player to watch, Louisville running back Hassan Hall. He had 1,220 all-purpose yards last season most by a freshman in school history, and eighth most by a freshman in the FBS. Hall had a PlayStation player impact rating of 93 last season, the highest of any cart. 
Notre Dame enters the season ranked number nine. It's the highest preseason ranking since opening the 2006 season, which they started off being ranked second. The Fighting Irish have never started and finished a year in the top 10 since 1993. This is also the sixth time in the poll era. Louisville will open the season against an AP-ranked opponent. The Cardinals are 0-5 in those games, including last year's 51-14 drubbing by Alabama. Overall, Louisville has lost nine straight games against AP Top 25 teams, tied for a second-longest streak against ranked opponents in the poll era. The Cardinals' last win came in 2016 against then number 2 Florida State. Notre Dame has won 10 games in each of his last two seasons under Brian Kelly. The Fighting Irish have not won 10 games in three straight seasons since 1991 through 93 under Lou Holtz. Notre Dame is coming off a college football playoff appearance in 2018 and enters 2019 ranked higher in the preseason poll than it did a season ago. However, the Fighting Irish's percent chance to reach the playoff is much lower. Right now, they're at a 29% chance to reach the college football playoff. And with all of that being said, Brian Kelly knows what's needed to get a big win on the road. You know, we go on the road, it's going to be a raucous environment. It's the only game being played on a Monday, uh, Labor Day, uh, against an ACC opponent. Uh, we know how that plays out uh, with our opposition. Uh, Louisville will be up for the challenge. New head coach. Um, there'll be a, a, a great amount of excitement uh, in the stadium. We will have to match that with um, uh, really a, 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 a fine performance, but more importantly, poise and confidence. Uh, discipline, all the things that you have to have when you go on the road. Uh, uh, that's important. And in an opener, be really good in your special teams because they make a difference early on. Ian Book returns as quarterback for Notre Dame. Book went 8-1 as a starter after taking over the job from Brandon Wimbush. Book ranked among the best signal callers in the FBS last season. Completion percentage of 68%, averaging 290 yards per game, a total QBR of 80. But questions about his game still remain based upon the last two games where he faced immense pressure against USC and also Clemson in the Cotton Bowl. In those last two games, he combined for 39 for 73, that's 53%, 512 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, and a cumulative QBR in those two games of 46.6. Brian Kelly, is Ian Book ready to take the next step to get Notre Dame? Over the hump. He's going to be as good as the 10 guys around him. He can't do it himself, but he's prepared himself. He's worked on the things that he needs to be a better quarterback. I think he's got a great surrounding cast around him. And I think more than anything else, to have those meaningful snaps that he did last year in big games is going to serve him well when he has to play in big games, when he plays at Michigan, he plays at Georgia, at Stanford, and many of the games we have in uh, the ACC as well. So I think just his experience last year is going to help him. But I think, you know, he worked on those things necessary for him to take that next step. Can I kick it? Yes, you can. Notre Dame, Louisville coming up September the 2nd beginning at 7 o'clock p.m. Central, exclusively on ESPN 1000, just like every single Notre Dame football game this year. When we come back, we get into our defensive side preview with Brian Driscoll from blueandgold.com. We're coming right back under the Golden Dome podcast. Under the Golden Dome. Welcome back in. We're getting ready to talk defense once again on the line with us, Brian Driscoll, digital editor over there at blueandgold.com and Blue and Gold Illustrated, and also football analyst. 
Check them out. Podcasts, everything, great articles, great, great breakdowns of games each and every week. Opponents, you can just go listen to all the podcasts right now. Load up on those and it will have you ready for kickoff Monday night, 7 o'clock Central Time, right here on ESPN 1000, ESPN 1000.com and the ESPN app. Every second of Notre Dame football in the entire season, hopefully to end in the college football playoff, will be right here, the home of the Fighting Irish, ESPN 1000. Brian, we talked about the offense. Let's get over to the defense. One of the things in your writings and also on the podcast that stood out to me was the jump that Notre Dame, Notre Dame's defense was fabulous last year. The loss of Jerry Tillery, first-round defensive tackle to the San Diego Chargers. He's been playing great, getting to the quarterback even in preseason, and he did that a lot up the middle, applied pressure for the Notre Dame defense that allowed those defensive ends to come around the end and make impact as well. But when we talk about the one jump that this defense needs to make, especially up front, and we'll get to the youth at the linebacker position and how that might impact what we're about to talk about. But the rush defense needs to be better in order for Notre Dame to truly get into that elite category of college football programs. Talk about what needs to happen and the consternation that some people have with Jerry Tillery going to the National Football League and what's been left behind at that defensive tackle position. Well, what's interesting is what Jerry Tillery left behind was one of the elite pass rushers in the country. You know, pro football focus had him, I think, in the top three when it came to uh, rushing the quarterback. Jerry Tillery was not, was not a great run defender. Yeah. That was not why he got drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. And so, you know, I think when you look at what he brings to the table, it was as an elite pass rush. I think what we see this year with the guys coming back is they're not going to be that. They don't have the pass rushing prowess that Jerry Tillery brings to the table. But what they do is they're very good run defenders. Jason Adam Malola was the best run defender on the, on the, on the, the, really the entire defense last year when you look at pro football focus grades. His run stop rate was really outstanding. Myron Tungalaloa is not much of a pass rusher, but he's a very good run defender. Kurt Heinrich is a real solid run defender. So I think that's kind of where some of that optimism comes from, is that, that the guys that do return have that ability. I think the defensive line is not really where my questions lie. My questions lie more at linebacker. You know, can you replace the, the, the 600 tackles that career tackles that Tavon Coney and, and Drew Tranquil take with them. I think that's where, I think, the, you know, the defensive line can do its job, but when you're playing Georgia and, and the, you eat up all the gaps and DeAndre Swift has got to go into the hole one-on-one with a linebacker, can you make that play? And, and that's really where my, my question marks lie. I, I think defensive tackle-wise, they're going to be very good against the run, uh, and, and they'll be able to rush the quarterback off the edge, which Pro Football Focus says Notre Dame has the best edge rushers in the country coming back this year. But can they make enough plays at the linebacker level to, to make a two-yard gain not be five? You know, on third and four, can you make that stop short of the goal of the mark, or do you tackle the guy and he falls forward for a first down? That's the difference between, you know, winning and losing or being able to make those plays uh, in those big games. So uh, I, I don't have a lot to remove the consternation for Notre Dame fans when it comes to the linebacker play. I think the defensive tackle play is going to be a lot better than people think. If Jack Lamb and Shane Simon can step up and really provide, uh, you know, that playmaking ability despite being young, I think that's going to be the answer. But right now, they're just not quite ready yet, at least based on what we've seen in practice. And it seems like by all reports that Drew White is going to be one of the starters inside. Should we feel uneasy that Asmar Bilal is getting the start nod at the linebacker position? You know, I hate bagging on the kid because, you know, he's worked his tail off and he's, he's a really good athlete. He's a tough kid, but... 
What, what Asmar just hasn't shown me is just the instinct to be an impact player against the run. He's really improved his game in coverage. There's no question about it. He's really done a good job at ball camp of being able to open and run, find crossers, get underneath crossing routes, run with seam routes, and those kind of things. He's done really well there. But he's still just a guy that just doesn't make enough plays against the run. And, and yeah, that concerns me. And Drew White, you know, somebody asked me, you know, compare Drew White to a former Notre Dame player. And of course, everybody says oh, he's a better version of Joe Schmidt. The guy that he reminds me of is actually Brandon Hoyt. If you remember him, mm. he started linebacker back in 05. Yeah. That's really what he reminds me of. You know, six foot, 225, really smart, really instinctive, better athlete than people think. I think as long as he can stay healthy, he's going to be a good football player. If, but they're going to need Osmar to, to show me something in games that he just hasn't shown me yet, and that is the ability to read, quickly diagnose what is happening, and explode to the football. If he can do that, he's going to be fine because the talent is there. 6'2", 235, fast, physical. It's just that mental part, that instinctive part that we just don't see. I mean, that's the thing about Tavon Coney. Tavon Coney was a very average athlete. We saw that at the NFL Combine. We saw that at Notre Dame's Pro Day. But he was such an instinctive player. He could just sniff out what you're doing and just get downhill in a hurry and make plays. Osmar doesn't have that. If he can start to show some of that, then I think he'll be okay, and he can hold the fort down long enough until the young players are ready to take over. If he doesn't, then they're going to have to force those young guys on the field because they may lack the, the grasp of the defense, but they're, they're just better athletes, they're better, more talented players, and they're more instinctive players. And so uh, the more that they force their way on the field, I think the better Notre Dame sh- fans should feel about what to expect from that linebacking court. And I hope Osmar makes me look like an idiot. I really hope he plays at a level. They say, remember that guy that was doubting you before the season? Great. I hope so because uh, that's what Notre Dame needs if they're really going to have uh, you know, that, that really elite defense that allows them to go beat a Clemson or beat an Alabama or beat an Ohio State or an Oklahoma. Well, it looks like we have another possible All-American at defensive back, Trey Pride, who by all the numbers, not just yours, but pro football focus said that he actually outplayed Julian Love the last six games of the season last year. So when we think about that and all the reports about him going back and forth with Chase Claypool and how they're making each other better in fall camp, and we seem like we have a lockdown corner right there. We don't know if he's going to play the boundary or he's going to stick to the field or do both. But I'm concerned about who's going to play opposite him. Will it be Dante Vaughn, who, in my opinion, was the scapegoat of that Cotton Bowl against Clemson? Because, honestly, he was in position to make plays. He just didn't make the plays on those passes and those touchdowns where they took advantage of him when Julian Love went out. You know, a corner, you know, Dante is very interesting. I, I interviewed Clark Lee this summer, Sean, and we have that, you know, we have that 160-page, you know, football preview where we break down the entire team and, one of the features that we have, which is, you know, as a football guy, is my favorite feature, sitting down with Chip Long and Clark Lee and talking football for an hour. I, I actually had a chance to sit down and talk football with Clark Lee for an hour and a half, and it was just a, a great conversation because he's such a smart guy. But he made a comment during that interview that I thought was really interesting, and, and he just kind of said it off the cuff. We were talking about this corners in general, and he just made a comment. He said, you know, for a long stretch of fall camp last year, you know, our best cornerback, and I'm waiting on him to say Troy Pride, right? And he goes, was Dante Vaughn. And, you know, and then he's like, you know, and he's like, you know, I, the year before we got here, you go break down the film of the 2016 season. Dante Vaughn was the best cornerback. It wasn't freshman Julian Love. It wasn't freshman Troy Pride. It wasn't Cole Luke, who's now at the Carolina Panthers. It was Dante Vaughn. Yeah, and he thought... tied for the team lead in pass breakups that year. And so, oh. But the problem is he's been hurt a lot. He's had the bad shoulder, the yeah. bad wrist, and yeah. he just had a lot of back problems. He had off-season surgery. They say he's healthy. And when he was out on the field, I mean, the first two weeks of fall camp, the practices we were at, I literally, I chart every single throw where an offensive player goes against a defensive player. And I think in four practices, 
passes. I had, I think, three completions against Dante Vaughn. That's it. And two of them were, like, really tightly contested back shoulder throws by Michael Young. And he was outstanding. Now he went through a little bit of a quad issue, and, and he missed a little bit of time, but he's back healthy. Now I think it was more just precautionary. But that's the key. Can he stay healthy enough to play at a high level and show the talent that he showed as a true freshman when you're talking about a 6'3", 200-plus-pound corner with really long arms that can open and run? If he can be healthy and play to the level we've seen when he is at his best, then their name is going to be outstanding at cornerback because not only did Troy Pride outplay Julian Love, his numbers were better than DeAndre Baker. They were better than, than Greedy Williams. They were better than Rocky Sin. They were better than and Byron Murphy, a bunch of first and second round draft picks last year. Now, can he consistently do that? We'll find out. But from a pure talent standpoint, Troy's got all that ability, but that means teams are going to throw at that other guy more. They need Dante Vaughn to be that guy, but he's not going to be alone. I think you're going to see Notre Dame doing a lot more matching up this year. When they're playing those teams, those really short, speedy receivers, we're going to see more Tariq Bracey, who's had a really good fall camp. You know, he's 5'10", 175, 180 pounds. They can really run. He can cover. You know, remember when he played against Florida State last year? They went at them early, so so deep on him early, locked him down. So he's got a lot of ability. So I think they have some depth there that allows them to match up a little bit better this year if everybody's healthy. But uh, I think if Dante can stay healthy and show in games what he's shown so far in fall camp, Notre Dame's going to be a really good quarterback this year. We go to the safety position where I'm totally confident in what we have back there returning Oloe Gilman and also Jalen Elliott. But it seems like in fall camp, the safety that got all the buzz or seemed like he was making all the big plays was an incoming freshman, one Cal Hamilton, that he didn't start off being one of the top guys, but I remember before he was upgraded by everybody else, your breakdown of him when he committed was, this guy is a five-star. Talk about the confidence in the starters, and then talk about the young development safety we have in Cal Hamilton. So Jalen Elliott and Lloyd Gilman are just, they're just leaders. I mean, they're just playmakers. I mean, people forget, Jalen Elliott had not played defensive back in high school. He was a quarterback that led his team to a state championship in big-time, big-boy football in Virginia. You know, this is a kid that's got all the leadership you want. He just needed to learn the position, and he struggled in 2017. But I, I, I interviewed Clark Lee, and I remember talking to Mike Elko after the season, and he said, the thing about Jalen is Jalen's always a step away. He's a step away from making a play because he lacks that experience. Well, last year we saw him not being a step away because he finally had the experience where he could – react and, and had a, a better grasp of how to break down film and how to prepare. And I think Aloe Gilman's arrival helped with that. You know, Jalen never had that veteran safety ahead of him that could show him the ropes. He had to kind of learn trial by fire. When Alohi showed up, Alohi was an older player, he's a more experienced player, and he could kind of show Jalen the ropes. And then all of a sudden Jalen's athleticism and his toughness and his leadership starts to kind of shine, and, and they just play really well together. Jalen's more a more athletic guy. Alohi's a guy that loves to come down in the box, but they just make a lot of plays. The question coming into camp was, there's nothing behind them from a proven standpoint, and there still isn't. You know, Kyle Hamilton's got a lot to prove. You know, it's, it's fun going to these practices, Sean, because, you know, a guy will make two or three interceptions. Like, oh, my God, he had a great practice. Well, as a coach, I'm saying, well, yeah, that was nice. He made three interceptions, two of them balls out of 150 passes. You know, but it's like, but did you see him, like, give up the outside on that corner route during one-on-ones? Did you see him over-pursue, you know, coming into the alley that's allowed the running back to cut back inside for the 30-yard run? You know, you can't have those big plays that you make, but then you give up those big plays. And so Kyle wasn't actually as effective early in camp as some of the reports made him seem to be because he had, he had four or five flash plays, 
but there's a lot of mistakes. The thing that's impressed me about Kyle is, as we've gotten deeper into the camp, those mistakes are going away, which tells me this is a kid with a very high football IQ. Yes, he can make mistakes. Freshmen are going to make mistakes, but you're not seeing a kid that's repeating those mistakes practice after practice. He makes some mistakes. They get in the film room. He fixes them. We don't see him again. And that's really the thing that's been impactful. You know, so, for example, the first couple practices, anytime the defense, the offense wanted to make a play, they just run a corner route at Kyle Hamilton. He would just kind of play inside, and, but he didn't understand that, hey, my leverage is helping me take away this route, this route, and this route. And so then they'd make a move, he'd overreact, and then they'd smoke him to the outside. Well, later in camp, we see him understanding his leverage better. Hey, I'm taking away the post and the in cut by my alignment, so if you make this hard inside fake, I don't care. I'm not jumping it. Next thing you know, he's jumping those out routes. He's jumping those corner routes. He's taking away the seam routes, and he's making more plays because he's learning from his mistakes. And that makes him a more consistent player and that's when you start seeing the impact because he's making the play still, the interceptions, the you know playing the deep center field, getting jumping the seam route. You know, you think a guy's open, and then all of a sudden, three steps, he's covered you know twelve yards. It's just the exceptional length he brings. Now he's also eliminating the mistakes that he makes, and that's where you could see a situation where if Notre Dame wants to get unique with some packages, let's say they want to bring a Lohi Gilman closer to the box and make him maybe play him more in the alley and some of their their, their three safety looks or their nickel looks. Then you let Kyle play that center field because what Clark Lee wants to do, he wants to play more man coverage. You can't play man coverage against Clemson, against Alabama, against Oklahoma, against Ohio State if you don't have a center fielder back there. They don't have that last year. They had alley players. Now with Kyle Hamilton, you've got a center fielder. You've got a guy that can play the seams, a guy that can get over top on cover two and just eat up a seam route like you know, like we saw last year with, with Justin Ross making a play against Notre Dame. He now can take those plays away because of his athleticism and God-given ability. And if he can continue to limit the mistakes, the sky is the roof for this kid. Because as you, as you said, Sean, I remember the first time I watched him, and I'm thinking, there's no way this kid is a three-star recruit. They're talking about a 6'3", 6'4", kid that can jump. He jumped 43 inches during summer testing. Really good shuttle. I mean, he's athletic, smooth, fluid. He's a, he comes from a basketball family. His dad played professional basketball overseas for almost 20 years. His brother played basketball at Penn. He just recently transferred to William & Mary. So he comes from a basketball family. He's got that basketball body, but he's a lot stronger, thicker, and he's, a, he's actually a willing hitter, which is the, probably the biggest thing uh, that I've seen that surprised me. It's his willingness to come down in the box and, and smack into people. You talked about that great time and great interview you had with defensive coordinator Clark Lee. Notre Dame fans, you can go to blueandgold.com right now. The transcript of that entire interview, Brian Driscoll sit down with defensive coordinator Clark Lee, is available at blueandgold.com. You will not be disappointed. It is a great insight into Clark Lee and what he expects to do with this defense this year. We talked about Chip Long and his ability to be flexible and use what he has. Clark Lee, can he do the same thing, and will we see a different Notre Dame defense in this 2019-20 season? Well, I believe so. I mean, you know what people don't, people don't realize, because you know, a lot of people don't like to get into weeds. You know, the inside baseball part of it is, is they don't really understand. Uh, or it's, just, you know, it's, it's, it's real technical stuff, but if you look at last year's linebackers, as good as they were, Drew Tranquil, fourth-round draft pick of the Chargers. You look at Tavon Coney, second-team you know, All-American last year, and just the great production. The inside line, actually, the linebacking core as a whole last year, I'm trying to pull this off the top of my head. I think they produced 23 and a half tackles for loss. The 2017 linebackers produced 34 and a half tackles for loss. Clark Lee's linebackers in 2016 at Wake Forest produced 40 
tackles for loss. And the reason the difference is, is Clark Lee altered how he ran his defense last year because that's what was best for that team. They had two inside linebackers that, that like to read, react, fly to the ball, and make plays. So they weren't guys that he used to attack. They didn't do as many run stunts. They didn't do a lot of things. And they forced everything. They tried to funnel everything back inside. That's not normally what this defense is meant to do. That's not what Mike Elko did in 2017. And that's not what this defense did when they were together at Wake Forest or at Bowling Green. It is a spill defense, which means eat up all the inside gaps and force everything back outside, string things along. That's more of what this defense is about. So with those guys gone, you're actually going to see this defense look a lot more like Clark Lee ideally wants it to be, which, again, says a lot about you know, his ability to adapt to what he has. He doesn't have two veteran, experienced linebackers that can just read, react, and, and eat up space. So he has athletic kids that don't know it all. So what do you do with guys like that? Attack with them. You have one job. When I make this call, you attack the A-gap as fast and as hard as you can. Or you have to attack the C-gap as fast and as hard as you can. You limit some of that stuff. You're more aggressive. And then you funnel everything outside. Well, where's Notre Dame strong? They've got the best DNs in the country. They are the only team in the country, according to Pro Football Focus, with three returning ends that ranked in the top 30 in run-stop rate and pass-stop rate. Dalen Hayes is the number seven returning defensive end in the country in run-stop rate. Uh, Khalid Kareem and, De- and Julian Aguar are both in the top 30. And so you've got edge, edge rushers that can make, the, make plays against the run as well. You've got two safeties that love filling the box and love flowing to the alley. So if you're getting back to what Clark Lee likes to do, which is be more of a spill defense, you're now playing into the strengths of your team. So I think we're going to see more of that, more run stunts, more slants, more using the linebackers to attack, blitz, and fill up those inside gaps and then you know funnel everything back outside, whereas last year the goal was to funnel everything back inside to Coney and Tranquil. Point blank, yes or no, is this Notre Dame defense good enough to win on the road at Michigan, Georgia, and Stanford? Yes, especially Michigan and Stanford. I believe so, yes. I think the, the thing for this Notre Dame football team, Sean, it's not about the defense. It's can the offense take that next step. But defensively, yes, no question. Before we let you go, i got to put you on the hook. What is unacceptable to Brian Driscoll come February of 2020 when we talk about Notre Dame football? Anything less than 10 wins in the regular season, they got to go minimum 10 to 2 in the regular season, and they've got to be competitive in their loss. You go down to Georgia and you lose, there's no shame in that if it's a 60 minute game where you give them everything you got and they were just a little bit better. No shame in that. 10 and 2 minimum, and they've got to finally end that streak of losing the big bowl games. Lou Samoja, you talked about Lou as the premier historian in Notre Dame football. He's, he's, a be- he's a beautiful mind when it comes to you yes. know, Notre Dame football. Yes. He, he, he had a stat, you heard this, Sean, in our last podcast. Notre Dame has not won a New Year's Six Bowl game or one of the big bowl games since 1994, January 1st, 1994, when they beat Texas A&M at the end of the 1993 season. Yes. Since then, over 40 teams have won a New Year's Six Bowl. Notre Dame is not among them. So minimum 10-2 regular season, and if you don't make the playoffs and you go to the Sugar Bowl or, or, or you know, the Cotton Bowl again, you've got to finally come out on top. That's what this program needs to do. They're close, but they're not quite there yet. And that, that kind of season, to me, would say, yes, they're getting to that point, they're on that level, and they've closed the gap. If you go 10-2 but lose that game again, then they're done that. If you go 9-3 and three and then get to a Citrus Bowl or a, or a Peach Bowl or a you know, Music City Bowl and you win that and you go 10-3 again, then they're done that. They've got to do something this year that they haven't done in a long time. And that's, those are the things I think they need to do. The most amazing thing that I heard when I heard Lou spit out that information 
the Kansas football program was part of those teams that comprised that group of teams that have won since 94 when Notre Dame actually beat Texas A&M in a big-time bowl game. So it's depressing. Louisville's got two of those games. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's time for that stuff to end. It really is. Blueandgold.com, Blue and Gold Illustrated, digital editor Brian Driscoll, and also the football analyst. Go to blueandgold.com right now. Uh, as Brian told me before we hopped on, no specials going on right now. But anything that you want to know that's going on with the Notre Dame football program, you go check it out right now. Go sign up. I know you can pay monthly. You can sign up annually and pay cheaper. Whatever you have to do to get information for Notre Dame football to become abreast of everything that's going on, you go follow these guys right here. And, Brian, you're a great follow on Twitter as well during games, during the week. Tell our listeners where they can follow you on social media. You can find me at, at BGI underscore Coach D. So at BGI underscore Coach D, I'll tweet all my stories out. So you don't have to go looking for them. But obviously, as you said, when we get to games, I'm always in the press box. I try to give as many insights as I can and, and just try to uh, – my goal is to, is to make your football watching experience more enjoyable and more knowledgeable. If I can do that, then I've done my job. All right, holiday weekend coming up for all you Notre Dame fans, and hopefully Monday night it won't be spoiled with a bad performance down in Louisville, Kentucky. I don't think you'll get that. I think you'll get a double-digit win, but we shall see. Brian, thanks for jumping in on the Under the Golden Dome podcast. Thanks for having me on, Sean. We thank Brian Driscoll for giving us our offensive and defensive season previews right here on Under the Golden Dome podcast. But before we let you go, you know I got the hookup. Number nine, Notre Dame at Louisville, Monday night, 7 p.m. Central, right here on ESPN 1000. Betting line right now currently sits set 18. Notre Dame is an 18-point favorite, over-under sitting at about 54 and a half. That's according to Caesar Sportsbook and also Bravado. That line has been bedded down to 18 because originally Notre Dame started off as a 20 and a half point favorite. I said I was going to hook you up. Here you go. Notre Dame is 8-0 straight up in the last eight games played in September. The total has also gone over for Notre Dame in four of the last five road games. Now for Louisville, they're winless at 0-7 against the spread in the last seven games. And the total has also gone over for Louisville in seven of the last eight games for them. And with that being said, I see somewhat of a competitive game early with Notre Dame running away and hiding at the end. Take that over. Final score, Notre Dame 41, Louisville 16. All right, that's it for the Under the Golden Dome podcast season preview for Notre Dame football. We'll catch you again next Wednesday. We'll be dropping the podcast each and every Wednesday, have more great interviews, giving you the hookup and kicking it with you about the next week's opponent each and every week. We do it right here. Once again, I'm Sean Davis. Go ahead and follow me right now at SD2Mikes on Twitter and Instagram, Sean Davis on Facebook as well. We thank you so much for listening. It is the Under the Golden Dome Podcast.